Good morning, church family. What a joy uh, to sing of our King uh, together. Well, there's a debate that heats up every year in November, and it goes like this. How early is too early for Christmas decorations? And there's, it's, it's a pretty heated debate. I've seen some of you uh, get into it with each other. Uh, not really. Uh, but uh, it, but and, then, and then there's the question, like, is there a different line, like a different date that's too early for outside decorations versus like, decorations in your house? Like you can be crazy in your house all you want, but like don't put it on the outside of the house yet. Is there, there's, there's a debate there too. And in my household, if you know anything about my family, uh, that debate actually starts before November. Um, and so maybe this is a little too raw for me. Um, but along these lines, one of the classic debates is how early is too early for Christmas music? Now, let me just concede at the, off the top that it depends on what song we're talking about. Like I could, if I never heard Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree again, I think that would be okay. I don't think I'd miss it. I can't, I'm trying to think if I would even go, man, I wish I could hear that again. Um, uh, but <laughs> if I had to guess, I think that when we think of Christmas music, a lot of times we think about those songs. Uh, the, you know, there's the, the kind of the fun, goofy, secular ones, the Rudolph and Frosty and I'll Be Home for Christmas. Uh, but then as Christians, some of our greatest songs are the Christmas ones. Uh, some of our best hymns are Christmas carols. Hark the Herald Angel Sings, one of the best hymns of all, of all time. Uh, Joy to the World that we sang this morning. Come thou long expected Jesus. I mean, as we sang that this morning, uh, such an amazing hymn. And for the record, like I'm for all of it. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, pro, I'm pro Christmas music. Music is a gift from God. It, it is all over the scriptures. Music marked so many occasions for God's people. Like you think, well, we have music that ties to all these different things in our culture. They did too. They did too. Adam sang when Eve was created. When, when the Israelites came through, through the Red Sea uh, in the Exodus, they sang when they got on the other side. God has wired us like that. He's wired us to, be, to, to, to sing. He, God is pro-song. We have a whole songbook in the scriptures of the 150 songs written by God's people. Uh, and, and in fact, if you, if you look up the kind of the Psalms and how they're grouped, some, some of the Psalms are grouped thematically. That means that God's into playlists. Like he likes, he likes themed music. He likes playlists. He likes, or if you're, if you're a little older, uh, he likes mixtapes. Uh, God's into that. Uh, I'm all for playlists. Like my kids know this. Like when we, I, I will make playlists for the dumbest things, um, important things like vacations or whatever, but we could be like driving to get a Christmas tree. And there's like a few songs that we need to listen to while we do that. Um, and, and, but, but something incredible happens at the beginning of Luke's gospel. The Holy Spirit gives us a soundtrack for Christmas. The Holy Spirit gives us a, a playlist for the incarnation and it's way better than the little drummer boy. I don't even know what's happening in the little drummer boy. If someone knows, please tell me what, what, what that story is. Like, where did that even come from? I don't think anyone, baby needs a drum played for it. Um, but <laughs> Luke gives us the very first, the very, the, the very first four Christmas carols. And that's what we're going to look at in this series as we walk through the season of Advent. The very first Christmas songs given to us by Luke's gospel. We're going to get a song from Jesus' unsuspecting family member, Zachariah. 
who's serving as a priest and he's, he has a song of worship in response to the light that Jesus is bringing into the dark. We're gonna meet an old man named Simeon who served God's people for years. He's been waiting and after waiting nearly his whole life for news of the Messiah as he holds Jesus finally in his arms in the temple, he has a song. And one of, one of the carols comes not from a human, but from an angel chorus. The music, uh, the, 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 the angels get onto the playlist of God. They, they, they get to erupt in song. Uh, I, wish, I wish there had been audio recording equipment in the hillside uh, that, that, would, that would have caught what the angels shared. But when they show up, we get one of the most classic songs in the Bible. And in these songs, we're seeing heavenly hosts singing. We're singing humans singing, right? Heaven and nature sing. But today, we begin with the very first of the Christmas carols. Now, this particular carol came at least six months before Jesus' birth. So I don't know what that does for the argument that you could sing Christmas carols in June. But if you need that for an argument, um, then there's your biblical reason. Mary, the mother of Jesus, overwhelmed by God's mercy to bring Jesus into the world through her, she composes her own personal psalm. And it's amazing to think that as Luke is writing this gospel, that he very likely interviewed Mary as he put together the, the timeline of what he was writing, that he got to hear firsthand her, her arrangement of these words. And these four songs, amazingly, they didn't stop with these four people. These songs have been sung by saints through the ages. They, they've been referred to over time by their Latin names, which if that just tells you how old they are, that they have Latin names. For well over 1,500 years, people have sung Mary's words. Even still, Christians around the world are arranging and setting to music these words from Mary. There are choirs singing them, children singing them, worship bands singing them, gospel groups singing them, singer-songwriters making original songs. I made a playlist over the past week of some of my favorite settings of these, of these, uh, of these words from Scripture. And we, I think we sent it out in the weekly email this week. And each week, we'll, every single one of these songs has tons of settings of these words. And we'll, send, we'll, we'll keep adding to the playlist. We'll pick five or six of the best ones uh, and put them on there. If you, know, if you, if you have favorites, uh, send, them, send them my way. Um, but, but why? Like, why have people been singing these songs forever? And I would argue that it's because what is expressed in these songs is the very response of a heart that has come face to face with the gospel. And so if, if you're numb to Christmas, if, if the music has started playing like in the stores or wherever you go, and it's just like white noise at this point, you're like, I'm already tired of it. If all your thoughts of Christmas are like just another Hallmark Christmas movie, I know how it goes, I know the story, I know where this is headed. Maybe, maybe your heart, it's okay to be numb to the Hallmark Christmas stuff, by the way. <laughs> but maybe your heart is not just numb to music, maybe your heart is actually numb to the good news of the incarnation. And, and I, I'm, I'm praying that the Lord would do something within us. 
Because I ask, I ask this question of myself from time to time. Like, when was the last time the reality of the incarnation of Jesus just made you laugh? Made you weep? Made you go, I've got to write down a couple lines of poetry. So for these four weeks, let's ask the Holy Spirit to well up within us so that we don't just sing the words joy to the world, but so that we really experience the joy that is ours in Christ. And so as we hear Mary's words of joy today, we're gonna answer three questions. Number one, what helps her to sing? Number two, what causes her to sing? And then number three, who else will join in the song? Let's go to the Lord now and and pray together. I just invite you where you are, just ask for the Lord's help. Whether, whether your mind's distracted, whether you're tired, whether you're, uh, maybe, maybe this is like, man, I've, I've heard this so many times. Uh, just ask that the Lord would speak to you through his word. Would you pray for our church family and for those who are here this morning uh, that we would not be numb to the good news of the Savior of the world who came for us. Ask, Ask the Lord to move in our church family. And then lastly, you can, you can pray for me. I pray that uh, that I would speak according to what God would have me say from his word um, and that it would be helpful to us this morning. Lord, we need your help today. Holy Spirit, we need your work in our hearts that we we, we would hear and rejoice over Christ. So Lord, would would you draw us by your grace through your word to marvel, to marvel at Jesus. We pray this in his amazing name, amen. We begin with number one, what helps her sing? So to understand Mary's song, I think we have to understand her mindset, like where she's coming from, which is why we started a little bit before her song with our reading this morning. Uh, but actually, only a few verses before that, before the, the interaction she has with Elizabeth, uh, and, and of course, before she pens this, this uh, song, probably only a couple weeks prior, Mary came face to face with an angel. And what did the angel tell her? The angel said, you're about to be pregnant and your child will be the son of God. It's a pretty normal day. And if you remember this encounter, Mary's response wasn't like, yay. I don't think there's a Greek word for that, but her response wasn't like, this is gonna be fun. Uh, And an angel on top of it, that was neat. Like, no, that was not her response. Uh, In fact, she responded much in the same way that I think any teenager would. But any of us would. 
In verse 29, we read that she was deeply troubled. In verse 34, she, she says, how can this be? Like she's saying, I, I think I get pregnancy and I know how that works. Like how, how is it that that could even be possible? And then finally in verse 38, she resigns within herself to the Lord's plan. Like she's, I don't think she's quite there yet, but by faith, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. In other words, I think she's just saying, okay, okay, I trust, I believe you. And then that response of faith is courageous. But, but it, it doesn't sound as joyful, does it? Because she knows what lies ahead for her. She knows she'll be a pariah. She, she's an unwed teenage mother, probably despised now by her, her betrothed, her fiance. So courageous, yes. Uh, but what does she not do? There's no song. She doesn't sing yet. She's not ready to sing. She, she's not overjoyed. She, she's confused. But yet only eight verses after this interaction, we get one of the most beautiful expressions of worship in the scriptures. So what happens in those eight verses? Well, isn't it interesting that in God's providence, the angel told Mary about someone with whom she might be able to identify. Your older relative, Elizabeth. Some of, some of the older translations say your cousin, Elizabeth, and that's, that's probably as good as any guess. Your cousin, Elizabeth, <clears throat> she's pregnant too. So if you, go, if you go back to where we read, verse 39, this is immediately after she hears this from the angel. Verse 39 says, in those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. So she didn't sing, she bolted. She was out. The angel told her about her cousin, Elizabeth, and that's where she wanted to be ASAP. And Luke doesn't even really tell us why she went. Uh, but make no mistake about it, this was no like girls weekend. This wasn't a baby moon. Like she, it says, it says she hurried. And in this moment of being overwhelmed by all, the, all of what she's walking through, she's, she's going, I need to be with my older relative, Elizabeth. Mary, Mary couldn't even see her own baby bump yet. Maybe Elizabeth will tell me she, that I'm crazy. I'm sure that's probably part of what she was hoping. Maybe this is all just a mistake. Maybe it's all a dream. But what did she see when she got to the house of her cousin? Sure enough, what does she see on her too old to be pregnant cousin? She sees the end of a second trimester baby bump. This is happening. Just like the angel had said. And I'm sure that was encouraging, but it pales in comparison to the encouragement she gets when Elizabeth begins to speak. We read in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her. This is John the Baptist that Elizabeth is carrying who will prepare the way for Jesus. The baby leaped inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Interestingly, we, we are not aware uh, that Elizabeth would have known anything yet about what was going on with Mary. Nothing in the text tells us that she would have known. But when Mary walks in the door, the Holy Spirit moves upon Elizabeth. And when this happens, when the Holy Spirit, we see this a lot in the scriptures, when the Holy Spirit comes upon someone and they begin to speak, 
Well, we need to listen to what they have to say because they're speaking something that the hearer needs to, to, to know and to believe. Look at some of what Elizabeth tells her. In verse 42, then she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I, I love this because number one, she's not low, like low key. She's not low emotion. It says she cried out. So I'm sure Mary needed this. Uh, she cried out. <clears throat> but think of what we know about Mary. Like we know Mary was poor. She didn't come from money. When she and Joseph show up in chapter two to the temple, they don't bring a large animal sacrifice. It says they, they, they bring a dove or pigeons for their sacrifice. So, and so they, they didn't have, have money. And they, we also know they were young. She was very young. I'm sure we probably have some seventh and eighth graders in the room. Seventh and eighth graders, probably she was around your age. Probably around your age. She had probably never before in her life been the most important person in a room. So when Elizabeth talks like this, Mary had to be looking over her shoulder. Who are you talking to? Is there an important person here? Are you, are you talking to someone else? Blessed am I among women? She'd never been the recipient probably of such a greeting. And Elizabeth goes on in verse 44. For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Elizabeth is saying some, some incredible things. First, Mary's like, I mean, can't be more than a few days pregnant. The angel just spoke to her. How does Elizabeth know these things? But we're seeing the spirit is giving her insight as she speaks. Secondly, what does she call Mary? She calls her the mother of my Lord. She's, she's teaching Mary. She's affirming the truth of what God has already said to Mary. This baby that you're carrying is the Lord. And there's great, she's giving this great Trinitarian truth too. Elizabeth says, you're blessed, uh, you're blessed for believing what the Lord has said to you. So you've, li you've listened to the Lord through the angel. So the Lord spoke to you and the Lord is in your womb. So the Lord speaks, the Lord is speaking to you and the Lord is about to be born to you. We later found out that Mary stayed there for three months which was probably the final trimester of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. That's, that's three months of encouragement. Three months of Elizabeth assuring her like a gentle mom. Three months of, of, of the wife of a priest speaking truth to Mary. And we don't know what else Elizabeth told her, but Elizabeth's worship was contagious. In fact, some theologians think that Mary's song is actually a song that Elizabeth taught her to sing. And, and wouldn't that kind of make sense? Mary's song is actually very reminiscent of Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, uh, when God granted Hannah a child in her barrenness. Hannah had prayed, my heart rejoices in the Lord. Sounds kind of like Mary's prayer. And, and who in the story, was it Mary or was it Elizabeth that was the, that was the un, very unexpected barren type pregnancy? It was, it was the older woman. Like she was more like Hannah. You think Hannah's prayer had been precious to Elizabeth as she had been pregnant uh, in these early days? And isn't this what we so often need? Like when we can't see what is true, 
when we're overwhelmed, unsure how it's gonna work out, not sure if we're up for the task that God's called us to, the truth of God that we need, the reminder of his grace often comes to us through a friend. We need a friend. We need a child, another child of God, full of the spirit to speak truth to us better than our own thoughts are doing. Someone who will look at us and say, God is with you. God is doing something in you, I see it. And your brothers and your sisters will point you to Christ in a way that, that, that you can't see it from within your circumstance. And I've, I've seen so many of you do this so well. Uh, our, our students, I've seen Lee and John <clears throat> uh, minister to our students and I'm so thankful um, because how many of you remember being a teenager? Like it's really hard to see on the other end of, of, of situations that you're walking through. And, and so they need voices within our church to, to encourage and, and to point to, to the other side to say, God's at work in you. Don't miss it. Like I love so many of you serve in our children's ministry and, and, you, and you play that same role in the lives of, of kids and of, of elementary kids and younger there's a lot of times when I'm leaving the office here at the church on Monday evenings and, and I'm leaving and there's folks coming in who are beginning to set up and prepare to lead uh, the regen ministry that happens on Monday nights. And, and I think of, when I think of this, I think of many of you who are leaders in regen because you're, you're meeting with people who feel like they've exhausted God's grace. You often are meeting with somebody who, who thinks, oh, man, I, I'm, I've messed up. And you show up on a Monday night and you speak the good news to them again. You remind them again. It's not God's grace. It's, it's God's grace, not your perfect record that makes you a child, that makes you a son or a daughter of the Most High. You're fulfilling this role. And maybe this is why Mary hurried. She had to get there because she needed some encouragement. John Calvin says that he said, I think it's more probable that her object was partly to increase and strengthen her faith. Like that's what she was after. And I don't know exactly when Mary wrote this song or how much Elizabeth chipped in, but somewhere along these three months after, after spending time with Elizabeth and seeing Elizabeth's faith, something changed in Mary. The truth of God had worked its way down into her soul and what had at the end of speaking with the angel, what had been stoic obedience has now given way to joy. And in her joy, Mary doesn't simply compose a theology paper, although there's great theology in her song. No, she sings. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. And we can learn something from Mary and Elizabeth in this. We must learn that fellowship is essential to joy. Maybe, maybe you're in a low place today. And maybe you need to remember, you need to be reminded of God's presence and work in your life. As Pastor Barry so eloquently shared in such a powerful sermon last week, some of us have believed that, that it's a badge of honor to walk through difficulty alone. But listen, an angel showed up and told Mary, you need to go talk to your older relative. And if, and if an angel thinks that Mary needs that, how arrogant are we to think that we don't? 
the beauty of Christ Church is, is that someone else is with you. Someone else is there. Someone else has been there. And they, they can help put words to your lament. They can provide perspective to your despair. And ultimately, they can help you to praise, to sing, when rejoicing seems far off. We need help to rejoice in God. So, so before Mary begins her song, she's helped by her, by her sister, her sister Elizabeth. Number two, what causes her to sing? We read now her, her song in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Magnificat is the first word of Mary's prayer in, in the Latin. Uh, that's the word for magnify. <clears throat> I, I, would, I would say the whole thing, like the whole first line in Latin, but I didn't write it down and I don't remember it. Magnificat is the first word though. I got that much. Uh, there, there are a couple of clues though as, as we move into this part of the text that of this change that's happened in Mary. The first clue is that Luke's writing moves from narrative to poetry. Mary is now speaking in prose. It's a song. And we don't know if, if Mary was a musician or she had a melody in mind. So this may, may just have been poetry spilling out of her. But these aren't bullet points. Mary has been affected deeply enough to where she's now singing. So we, we have, the church has seen this as her song. So there's been a change in, in the type of writing. That's one way we know there's a change. Secondly, we know she's changed because of these first two lines. These first two lines really set the tone for the whole song. My soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, the great worth of God, his value, his beauty, it's multiplying within me. And she doesn't stop there. She says, my spirit rejoices in God. And she's not, I don't know that she's, I don't, she's not saying two different things like my spirit does this and my soul does this. No, she's, she's uh, this is a kind of a parallel expression, a parallel statement where she's saying essentially the same thing. She, basically, she's saying, God has made me glad. I'm, I'm, I'm so filled with joy because of God. She has been changed and rocked to her core by who God is. But, but why? Why? Why, is, why the change? She goes on in verse 48. Because he has looked with favor at the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed because the mighty one has done great things for me and his name is holy. So what is it about God that causes Mary to sing? I wanna propose that there are two main reasons she sings and they can both be summarized by verse, 30, verse 49. Uh, so number one, the first reason is, is this, this first part of verse 49, because the mighty one has done great things for me. She is singing and saying to us through her song, look at God. Would you look at God? Look how mighty he is. His name is holy. That's his name. That's, that's, that's just who he is. Like Mary's no novice when it comes to God. Like she grew up hearing the stories of God's dealings with his people. She knows his power to rescue. She knows his power to destroy enemies. She likely knows Psalm 71 that says, your righteousness reaches to the skies, O God. You have done great things. Who, O God, is like you? 
No one does great things like Yahweh, she's saying. He's the mighty one. How great is he? And yet, it isn't enough to simply know of God's power and know of God's might. Mary, Mary knew these things. She, she grew up with this understanding of God. And now she'd seen some of it firsthand. She'd seen an angel. But simply knowing of God's great might doesn't make us sing. There's a second ingredient required for those whose souls rejoice in God. So reason number two for Mary's song, because the mighty one has done great things for me. He's done great things for me. Yes, look at God and his might, but look at me. Who am I that he would do this sort of thing for me? Look what she says in verse 48. Because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. He said, he looked at me with favor. You remember, remember when your, your, your parents would look at you and they give you the look? Like, you know the look. Kids, you definitely know the look because you've seen it recently. Um, <clears throat> Parents, I know you've given the look and you probably remember your mom or dad giving you the look. I still remember uh, my mom, my mom's in the service, but uh, uh, I still remember when, uh, when I was a kid, my mom would look at me from across the room and there was a certain way that she would put her tongue like on her bottom lip that I knew this is not good. <laughs> and it was like, there are no words need to be said. I just know whatever I'm doing, I need to change whatever that is so that things go well for me. Um, that was when I was thinking rightly, at least. Um, but 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 it was, it was a look that that changed my view. I, like if you don't if you don't have kids, maybe maybe I bet you know the look because you've probably seen the look uh, in public with other parents. Uh, but uh, do you have a dog? Like I, there's a certain way I can look at my dog, and his shoulders just begin to sink. Like I don't say anything. I just stare at him, and his head starts to go lower. Why? Because dogs know. Like, they just know, I probably messed up. I don't even know what it was, but I'm sure I did something. Uh, he's, he, knows, he knows anger's coming. He knows condemnation's coming. Oh, no. There's the look. And I think a lot of us live like that. We live with this low-heat simmer of, of God's frustration toward us. Like, God must be so disappointed in me. I must be such a letdown to him. Like maybe if I can just be better next week, I, I'll read my Bible more. I'm gonna serve my neighbors better. I'm gonna share the gospel next time I have the chance. If I can do better today, God, maybe he'll smile at me. Maybe he'll be, at least won't be frustrated with me. But until then, I guess he's just gonna be looking like I imagine him to look, which is just with a case of divine buyer's remorse. Just disappointed. Christian, listen, if you believe that, you need to know this. You cannot purchase the loving look of God. You can't buy it. It's not for sale. You can't, you can't attain it. There is nothing that you can impress, no way you can impress your father, the most high God, because who could rightly stand before him? There is none righteous, Romans 3 says. No, not one. 
Psalm chapter 130 says, Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, who could stand? See, Mary is not impressed with herself here. She knows the miracle that has occurred. And, and, and notice she doesn't say, hail me, full of grace. No, she sings, surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And some, some traditions have taken that and, and venerated Mary because of these lines of scripture. And certainly she's, she plays such a, an amazing role and a beautiful role in God's plan of redemption. And it's true. Generations have called her blessed. Generations have honored her. But she's telling us why she's blessed. We don't even have to guess. She's telling us. Generations will call me blessed because he looked at me with favor. He looked at me and gave grace. At me. Can you believe it? He looked at me and he gave me grace. He gave her grace despite the fact that she brought nothing to the table. And isn't that what it means to be a Christian? Like Mary was rejoicing, not because she was promoted to the high rank to be Jesus's mom. No, she was rejoicing because God was kind to her. She had received his love, his grace, his favor. There isn't even a hint here of the sort of worship that Mary, have, some have, have resorted to uh, uh, throughout time. No, that's, that's, that's idolatry. It, it's not Christianity to elevate Mary to a place of worship. Why? Because Mary worshiped God. She herself knew that every gift she had came from his mighty hand. So she exalted, not herself, she exalted his work, his might, his name is holy. Mary is blessed, yes, but why? Because blessed is the one whose sin is forgiven. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they'll see God. She says, I'm blessed because he's done great things for me. It's him. I'm blessed because of him. And that's why she knows that her song won't just be her song for long. Which leads us to number three. Who else will join in the song? She goes on in verse 50 and she says, his mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. Generation to generation. There's gonna be a lot more people like me. I'm not the only blessed one. I'm just the beginning. And so here her song begins to turn outward. saying, after me, more people are gonna sing. And then they're not gonna sing about me, Mary. They're gonna sing about what he's done. I'm just the, the, one of the dominoes at the beginning. I'm just somebody who had a, a solo at the beginning of the song. But all who have seen his mercy, all of us, we get to join in. We're part of the choir. We each will take our turn singing, my soul magnifies you, Lord. And think of all the saints through the ages who, who sung her words. Why do they sing it? Because they too, like Mary, like you, like me, they encountered the miracle of God's mercy to sinners. This, this is the song of those who've been saved. I rejoice in him. He's done great things for me. And this next section, 
Uh, it, it almost sounds like Mary's now looking backward and praising God for things he's done in, in the past for Israel. Uh, she kind of speaks in past tense. She says things like, he scattered the proud, <clears throat> he's toppled the mighty. But I don't think she's actually looking backward. No, I, I think she's beginning to write like one of the prophets. Like we, we talk like this sometimes too. Uh, we might say something like, in 2007, the Houston Astros signed a 16-year-old Venezuelan kid named Altuve. And in that moment, they became champions. Didn't happen yet, but we, we might say in that moment, they did. Or if you're, a, if you're a, a, not a sports person, it was, it was six years before the war ended, but at the Battle of Saratoga, America won the Revolutionary War. That's where the battle was won. That's where the turning point happened. It's not just that he will crush evil and put down the strong. It's that it's done. It's coming, but it's finished. And in doing so, he will save the weak and the undeserving. So this is the rest of her song. What is God doing? He is reversing every human sense of worth and glory in the world. Blessing and salvation is not for the proud, the mighty, the rich. No, God extends his, his position, his might, his riches to the humble, to the weak, and to the poor. So who will join in Mary's Christmas song? Who will say that the Lord has done great things for me? Well, to answer the question, I think Mary actually sings, not of the ones who will sing, but of the ones who won't sing. Like these are the ones who won't say, he's done great things for me. These are, these are the ones who won't, uh, Christmas is not for these people. Christmas is not for the proud. Christmas is not for the proud. Verse 51, he has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. The Savior didn't come for those whose secret thoughts say, I'm, I'm better than everyone else. Like the human heart is, an, is a factory of self-worship, uh, of self-admiration. The scripture says, that the fool says in his heart, there's no God. Why? Because the fool thinks in his own heart, I'm God. And with this tiny little heartbeat in Mary's womb, he's scattering human pride. He's scattering self-worship and only the lowly will receive his mercy. Christmas is not for the mighty. Verse 52, he has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. When the Lord Jesus became a baby in Mary's womb, Every other king's future rule received an expiration date. All rulers and leaders, power grabbers, those who set up their own kingdom on earth, those who demand loyalty and service rather than serving others, they stand now in opposition to the true king, the true mighty one. And one day, though their defeat is already secure, these little popsicle palaces they've built, popsicle stick palaces they've built will, will come down. They'll be crushed. They'll be toppled. So Mary rejoices. The mighty will be toppled, but the weak, the insignificant, they'll be brought in. And then lastly, Christmas is not for the rich. He is, uh, verse 53, he has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Oh, the wealthy who feasted at the richest banquets, who've 
eaten from the finest gold plates and dined on the freshest bread and eaten the most expensive steaks. They've, they've never known what real hunger's like. They've, they've always had their bellies full, always had, had their wallets fat. And Mary rejoices. One day they won't get it all. They'll be sent away while the Messiah King throws a banquet for us, for the poor, a feast for the starving. Isaiah 55 says similar things. Come, everyone who's thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. It's for the poor. At the end of verse two, listen carefully to me and eat what is good. You will enjoy the choicest of foods. Listen, the only ticket to the feast of Jesus is hunger and thirst. The only prerequisite for coming to the Savior is to want to come, to know that you need to come. If you remember this parable that Jesus tells uh, in Luke chapter 14, we, we preached through it a number of months ago when we were walking through Luke. In Luke 14, it starts in verse 16. Jesus tells this parable of a great banquet. It says this, Then he told him, A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told the servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. And, and look, maybe you, maybe you know this. And maybe you, maybe you think that well, I, you know, I know the gospel is for the poor in spirit. I know uh, the gospel is for the lowly. But when I think about my own heart, when I think about my own life, I know that I've been lured by riches. Maybe when you think about your own heart, you, go, you think, man, I know I've feasted on things other than Christ. I've wanted things and ran after other, other, other meals, other feasts. My secret thoughts, at times they're filled with self-exaltation. So what hope is there? What hope is there for sinners? Here's the miracle of it all. That the baby in Mary's womb, the, the one that was there while she was singing this song, he's the king. He isn't just proud in his secret thoughts. No, he is the mightiest one of all. He flung the stars into space. This is might beyond any others. And he, and he wasn't just rich. Like all creation is his. Like he, he, it belongs to him. But here's the kicker. The king of glory, the richest one there ever is, the proudest, mightiest one there is, gave up his pride that he might be hated and rejected. He laid down his strength 
to become the weakest of all for you. He emptied himself. He laid aside eternal riches that he might be poor. 2 Corinthians 8 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Jesus Christ grew up and he went to the cross. And at Calvary, he was scattered for your pride. He was crushed and destroyed for your self-indulgence, for your self-worship. He went to the grave for your love of sin and love of self. But he didn't stay in the grave. He rose again. And now there is no sinner that's too far from the grace of God. There's nothing you've done. There's no, there's no way you have feasted that you cannot still come to the Savior and say, no, but I need to be truly satisfied. There's no, there's no sense of lowliness that you could have. Oh, I'm not enough for the Savior. No, he receives you. Here's what is required. Only see your great hunger today and then turn to feast on Christ. Only see your great spiritual poverty and, and, and open your hands to receive his riches. Only see your deep need and go to him to be healed. And when you do, you'll discover, like Mary, that he shows grace to the lowly. He did not come for the well. He came for the sick. We must see our need. And when we do, and when we turn to our Savior, then, then we rejoice. And we say, he has done great things for me. My soul magnify the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we need your help. The reality of the good news, Lord, is as it can become so it can become so dull to us. Lord, our, our other 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 joys and other pursuits can drown out the true need that we have. And so, Lord, I, I would just ask that in the quietness, in the, in the quiet of this place, that you would convince each of us of our true spiritual bankruptcy apart from Christ, of our true poverty, of our true sickness apart from the one who heals, the one who makes right, the one who's making all things new. Lord, would you help us, those of us who are Christians, would you help us to remember what he's done, to remember how we've been changed, how we've been made new, how we've received grace. And Lord, where we've forgotten, would you remind us? I wanna invite you just to pray to the Lord.
just to confess where you've forgotten, where the good news of, of Jesus has, has grown dull in your own heart. And thank him again. draw us to yourself now. We ask this in Christ's name.